Welcome everyone to the Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today to bring you a potpourri of Marvel Cinematic Universe goodness. Uh, the San Diego Comic-Con panels, much speculation around the corner. And uh, I talked to you about a couple properties you know, a couple properties you may not know today. Indeed, Pete. And we're going to start with the uh, second week in a row box office champion, Spider-Man Far From Home, having uh, cashed in $847 million worldwide in these two weeks asterisk because of the tuesday release but in these two weeks of release so certainly a massive hit here and what caught my eye was an interview that the hollywood reporter had with uh writers of spider-man homecoming and far from home chris mckenna and eric summers uh we have an article linked in the podcast description but pete a couple of takeaways uh now you have not read this article right i have not then we're going to play a little what does pete think here pete your thoughts should uh, Uncle Aaron, played by Donald Glover, should he have been in Far From Home? No. Uh, that was the conclusion that they reached as well. They considered it. Uh, and essentially, let's see, McKenna says that they wanted to get to Europe pretty quickly. And Summers uh, kind of repeats that. We wanted to get out of New York and get on the trip as soon as possible. So I feel like, Pete, had they shot a scene with Uncle Aaron, it would be on the same scrap heaps slash there's a shortcoming that is the whole you know peter parker picking up a uh, passport please like that whole portion of the story that they did shoot that got cut it would have been cut too i mean could they have found a way to get it in they could i think with the success obviously of spider-man into the spider-verse it complicates the character's relation to Miles Morales. We do not have a connection to that story in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then it's going to continue to set off the spidey sense of, oh, we're getting Miles Morales, we're getting Miles Morales, when Tom Holland is firmly entrenched right now. And it's, it's just not the time yet, particularly after Sony makes its animated film and is now pursuing an animated universe the spider gwen film etc etc pete another topic that came up in this interview was uh robert downey jr should there have been uh, original footage or an original presence of robert downey jr should he have been the voice of edith should he have been a holograph a hologram uh should they have hired robert downey jr for this movie and cheapen uh, a great exit in Endgame uh, weeks after its release? Absolutely not. Uh, that certainly was their conclusion as well, maybe less so from the, the cheapening of the ending, although I think that must have been the number one concern. He's gone. Let him be gone. Um, there, there was some discussion, McKenna said, about doing a flashback, um, but to ultimately do one with footage that they already had was the way to go. Uh, and he said, but you don't oh, want wait, to do they didn't they didn't want to get him in there for uh, three days. And what was it? Twenty five million dollars. <laughs> it might have been it might have been 15 or 20. But what he right, made on homecoming. I'm, I'm sorry. I was I was 10 to to five million off. You know, <laughs> I, I got to get my scale right. <laughs> um, but McKenna jokingly saying we don't want people thinking he's alive. Now he's a hologram. Now you're an Avengers compound. Uh, and I think, you know, certainly wiser heads prevailed there. 
Uh, lastly, Pete, what is MJ's backstory? I don't know. Um, I had not considered her backstory until I read this article. Um, and maybe, maybe it's because this article uh, and some of the suppositions that McKenna and Summers make, it just so happens to tie in vaguely with that other Zendaya property that's on right now, Euphoria. But um, here's what McKenna had to say. Pete, the, what McKenna has to say here, it was like heartbreaking. This I read this and it was like, we need to talk about this in the podcast. McKenna says, there was a moment when they come back from Washington in Homecoming. I don't think it made it into the movie where you get the scene where she clearly doesn't have someone to pick her up and meet her at the bus and May and Peter offer to give her a ride home. You get a sense there that there's some sad home life going on and I think it's alluded to in some of the things she says in this movie. With all that stuff, you never want to lean in too hard. You want to tell a story with as few words as possible. I think we kept it kind of small and as nuanced as we could. So Pete, your thoughts that there's nobody to pick up MJ after these trips. I feel like we've done the nobody to pick up somebody with flash and it's a little bit more effective. Um, not that you can't explore MJ's character. I mean, everything I know about her, I have from the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, right. Wasn't there like fighting at home and, you know, she comes out by the trash can and confides in Peter. I would imagine it's not going to stray too much from that. I love that these Spider-Man movies have not needed to belabor the origin. I mean, we still don't know the particulars of how this one got bitten by a spider, but we don't need to. And I like to just this notion that the writers, at least in their thinking, um, and again, uh, McKenna suggesting that they shot a scene where she wasn't picked up in his statement. I don't think it made it into the movie. But regardless, that in the in the writing process, in the creative process, they are thinking beyond, you know, here is our 128-page script, or, you know, here's a draft where somebody said, not enough explosions, or more this, more that, that these are larger characters that get captured in the script, in the story, and that there's this stuff informing her character and, of course, the other characters uh, that we don't get to see, but that that's kind of baked in at some at some basic level. Yeah, and again, it's fodder for future films. Zendaya is, you know, becoming an increasingly larger star. Both Matt and I are enjoying Euphoria and, and having conversations off mic no, there will be no Euphoria podcast by Fantastic Geek anytime soon. That would be uh, too complicated for us wow. to podcast. <laughs> Way too complicated. Um, but, uh, you know, could she get an even more featured role moving forward? Yeah. And it, it'd be fun. Uh, she's a great character, but we really only know her at the surface level. And I think where we left her would make the most sense to start to find out more about her. Well, you talk about the road ahead. Let's shift gears here. Again, we're kind of in this San Diego Comic-Con Eve, the wide accept, uh, expectation being that we're going to get not just Black Widow announced, maybe not just Eternals announced, but you know, perhaps some sort of roadmap either at San Diego Comic-Con or at D23. Some sort I of think big... your roadmap will come at D23. Probably a better bet, but this summer, the notion of Fiji on stage, big projection behind him with the timeline and all of that. 
Um, so we're in this we're in this virgin territory of not knowing much about what's ahead. And Pete, when I hear discussion about oh, there's an Eternals movie being put together. A number of times I've been like, oh, I'm kind of down on that and kind of down on that. Then I realized I don't know much about the Eternals. So, Pete, who are the Eternals and why should I be excited about their movie? Well, I think I might be able to explain why Matt might be down on the Eternals, which I am not down on. I am down for all the way. Um, We just past what was the original date for the Inhumans films. So in some <laughs> alternate universe, Matt, we are now recording an Inhumans MCU film podcast episode, not the two-hour first two episodes that was shown in IMAX almost two years ago that we've worked very hard and there's been a lot of therapy to undo. <laughs> And by the way, go and listen to all of the Inhumans podcast by Fantastic Geek, which is there in its entirety, both on FantasticGeek.com and uh, Apple Podcasts. But so, you know, this this idea that we're going to get a cosmic offshoot, you know, the biggest risk to this point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe was a little film called Guardians of the Galaxy. And I remember telling kids three years out, you know, you will root for uh, a CGI uh, raccoon, uh, a gun-toting raccoon, and uh, a CGI tree. And they were like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, Cut to uh, James Gunn making all this money and even more fans. And we've had two films here and the Eternals, a property originally developed by Jack Kirby that Neil Gaiman took a swing at uh, in the early 2000s, continues pretty much in that vein. They were created by Celestials. They have really kind of a uh, mirror in the Deviants. And uh, it's pretty interesting to see some of the character descriptions that they're looking for out there. You know, we've heard that uh, Angelina Jolie is firmly attached. Like with every Marvel product, we hear that they're looking for a place for Keanu Reeves. (laughs) There's been very large uh, vibrations over the internet the past couple days that Millie Bobby Brown has been cast That is not confirmed that she actually went to Instagram the other day uh, and live streamed that that is news to her, although she could be playing coy before popping up in San Diego and they, you know, announce a cast on, you know, Friday, Saturday. Um, There's a character description out there. They're looking for a 10 to 16 year old lead female of any nationality or ethnicity for the role of Piper. And these are probably um, covered up names, uh, might be an Eternal who is uh, known as Sprite. And, you know, if if there's something for Millie Bobby Brown to do before getting to Stranger Things 4, go do a Marvel movie, come back, you know, say like January, February, and and make Stranger Things 4. Another actor, Matt, we saw in um, 
the first season, the the pilot episode, if you will, of the Twilight Zone on CBS All Access, Camille Nanjiani. He has not been formally cast uh, or or announced as cast. However, he gave an interview that uh, in order to widen his appeal and to be in some bigger projects, he really kind of needs to bulk up. And some people are saying that he might be a good fit for this project as well. And Donnie Yen of Star Wars uh, Rogue One um, is somebody that could be a fit, too. Well, certainly it's it's exciting names circulating around this. And if if you are telling me, Pete, hey, have faith in this slightly more obscure property, the slightly more stellar space based property, have faith the way faith was had in Guardians of the Galaxy a couple of thoughts. First of all, that's a great analogy. That helps me understand it uh, more. And <laughs> furthermore, Pete, let's look into the future. Hmm. They're going to somehow try and emulate the Guardian's um, uh, advertising model, maybe not outright with with the 70s music and whatnot, but they're going to try and do a similar thing where people are excited about this, even though they don't know what it is ahead of time, other than it has a red box with white letters that say Marvel. I think it's a logical springboard given that we've introduced the idea of Celestials with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. We've done the uh, Infinity War endgame. Matt, there's even a connection to Thanos, okay? One of the characters, uh, Eros, who may be uh, Star Fox, uh, is the brother of Thanos, also a son, the youngest son of Alars, who's sometimes known as Mentor. So, you know, this could be a multi-generational, and there's been all sorts of, uh, you know, incarnations of the Eternal, so they can really pick and choose. And it's not something that's so ingrained like a Spider-Man, like a Captain America. Um, they can really tailor it to the times one of the villains and and again they've been around forever hence the title uh at one point you know he's a kgb torturer and finds he has a real knack for that so if that's not timely i don't know what is well you mention uh tweaking these characters for modern times because they're not necessarily as ingrained as a spider-man etc i can't help but think how Universal Studios has all the theme park rights to Marvel Comics characters east of the Mississippi, except for somehow the Guardians of the Galaxy or Disney World. That's because some lawyer has argued, hey, they're using the movie versions, which are unique from the comic versions. Uh, I don't know how ultimately true that is, but that, if nothing else, it's evidence of you know, making changes to obscure characters to make them work and certainly uh, work they have when it comes to the Guardians. Pete, credit where credit is due here. This whole discussion about Eternals and heck, even building Spider-Man into it ahead of it, it was all because we got an email from our pal who goes by the name OH4, 
a shield reference i don't need to explain further dear listeners um and he got in touch about the eternals movie so credit to him uh we actually moved the schedule around and whatnot as soon as i got the email i sent it to you i said pete we're going to talk some star wars i think let's let's do this instead so the power of listeners getting in touch and pete are you ready to go through his his fantastic theory here for the eternals movie I think we know where you're going, but lay it on me. All right, so here are his words. I've heard theories that the Eternals movie isn't actually an Eternals movie and is a cover for something else. Let's look at who's rumored to be in the movie. Richard Madden is one of the leads. He usually gets more hunky roles, but I think his acting can be pretty flexible if he needs to be kind of a kind of professor type. Not a far stretch. Salma Hayek is the other lead. She's a great performer who can really blend in with the rest of this talented cast. She could play Richard Madden's brilliant partner who could, wouldn't even be considered invisible next to him unless she wants to be. Camille Nanjiani is a, as a supporting character who is the right hand of the male lead with unwavering, almost rock-like support. He's a comedian, but, he's, uh, but also has it in him to put out a serious performance, even stony at times. Uh, and if he does let in just a little bit of his trademark humor, it could be a beautiful thing. The latest addition, Millie Bobby Brown. She's proven herself to be a great child actor with more than a few fiery performances. She could play the daughter of Salma Hayek or have some other familial connection to one of the cast. And then the antagonist, Angelina Jolie. A great villain requires a great actor, and there's a few more elite than Angelina. She could really bring to life a character that could, I don't know, hypothetically take control of a uh, country formerly known as Sokovia and give it a new, more sinister name. And her gravitas could most definitely deliver the doom of a frightening adversary for our main cast and possibly the rest of the MCU in Phase 4. Just some totally irrelevant thoughts I'm pushing around. Regardless, this is a wonderful cast. Fantastic, even. Uh, Until next time, true believers... Cough, cough, fantastic four, cough, 084. I love the theory, and it's it's deep and it's complex, but I don't think they're secretly building a fantastic four film with this cast. He does offer some interesting ideas, whether it is this cast or whether it is kind of some of these changes, you know, make Dr. Doom a female, um, you know, certainly, uh, Pete, there were a number of things wrong with the Josh Trank Fantastic Four movie. So many things. M- Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm was not one of those things. He's a great actor, you know. The... Oh, but his but his uh, his Johnny Storm, you know, a- as written, sucked. Okay. Um the, the whole movie, Matt, just you, you almost thought it was in the murderverse. It is incomprehensible at times. And uh, yeah, it's the reason why, thank God, Josh Trank never got a crack at a Star Wars movie. It did all work out in the end, it certainly seemed. So, Pete, this is a theory that we can stick up on the old corkboard there, see uh, see how things shake out for 084. I feel like, if not this movie with this cast, I feel like he is presenting an interesting playbook. I am reminded of a number of San Diego Comic-Cons ago. I don't even remember when, but... Um, 
it was like on a Tuesday or Wednesday, they had started filming Guardians of the Galaxy. And obviously no footage to show Pete after a couple days of filming. I mean, heck, you might spend the first half a day going, you know, oh, well, let's try a different accent. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then San Diego Comic-Con Saturday, lights go down, lights go up. Ladies and gentlemen, the Guardians of the Galaxy, they had flown from London to San Diego. No one was expecting it. So I feel like, again, in this stretch here of an uncertain future for the MCU. I mean, certainly not uncertain, like, oh, is it going to fail? But just not quite knowing. Are they ever going to make any movies again? (laughs) That they will, Pete, because they make a lot of money with them. But just, you know, there there is this idea, there's this this potential for a razzle-dazzle thing, like, surprise, X is actually Y. Listen, I, I love the idea of changing up characters that we've had two feature film um, franchises of that haven't worked. And then you count the Corman one, right? That you can go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and listen to our commentary of uh, if you're really a nihilist, but uh, you know, if Angelina Jolie could become Dr. Doom, I mean, sign up for that right now. I think, again, wisely, Feige knows those properties, some more than others, need to lay a little bit more fallow. Um, Fantastic Four, to my mind, will be the first one up. The X-Men further down the line. Really interested to see when and how Deadpool comes into it. I saw something online, and if I'm stealing somebody's original thought, my apologies, I think it was on Twitter, but it was like, um, hey, side effect from the blip can be all of a sudden people now have mutations, boom, there you go. That's how you get like first generation mutants, you know, pick up 1960s era, obviously not in that time period, but you know, pick up with that, you know, Professor X uh, core group there. Um, I think something to watch too as phase four unfolds is how interconnected do they want to make things now? You know, everybody had to see this whole list of movies before you saw Endgame, and that was okay. Fast forward a couple months later, you know, here we are in the summer, and my my mom says, Hey, there's that Spider Man movie out. You think we should go see it? Did you see it yet? (laughs) Yeah, mom, I saw it, and I kind of paused, and it's like, I don't want to tell her. Sorry, Mom, you can't see this movie because you're not going to understand the beginning because you didn't see Endgame because we've been saving that for, you know, when it comes out on digital or home video or Disney Plus or whatever and, you know, maybe do it in two sittings or whatever it might be, but we're holding off on that. My point being, you know, do we have, well, you need to have seen Endgame and then you need to have seen it contextualized and far from home so that you can really understand where mutants come from versus hey, this is happening, nobody knows why, boom, now there's a guy with knives coming out of his hands. I don't even think you need to do it that way. It certainly presents an opportunity as far as what's happened, but, you know, they're creative enough and they'll figure out a way. Well, Pete, before you mentioned the goodie on Patreon, which was our Fantastic Four, Roger Corman Fantastic Four commentary track, that was certainly a bit of a slog, but making it easier are the people who go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek and uh, inspiring us to put goodies there and to keep the main core bunch of podcasts going here. 
everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. So just a dollar if you want to subject yourself to Roger Corman's visuals and our thoughts. <laughs> well, Pete, <laughs> there are many goodies there, but the best goodie is always free. That's talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10,000. 588 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter is looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today well pete i know we will be talking more marvel movies in the near future as the future becomes less uh less confused and more clear after san diego comic-con so with that i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word from here to eternity 